Well, technical difficulties again this morning. This time it wasn't my fault. I had no internet. I was ready and um, something went wrong with our internet and it finally just came back on. So I'm glad to be with you. I'm going to see if I can share um, real quick this link where I need to share it. So if you give me just a moment and I'll allow some of you to hop on here. I hope everybody had a great weekend. I decided to um, do some of my projects that I've been putting off. And I took, I did, I wallpapered. Why people do that to themselves, I do not know. But when I came up this morning and saw that it had fixed itself, I was very happy. And, um, okay, here we go. Y'all got to hear my wallpaper story, but I can't multitask. So give me just a second. <laughs> okay. It says I'm live, but I don't see that I'm live. Da, da, da. Well, I'm going to proceed as if it is live and hope that I am. Okay. This is what happened last week. Anyway, okay, my wallpaper story. All right, it says I started streaming. Now, come on. My wallpaper story. So I have this one wall in my guest bedroom that I wanted to do as kind of an accent wall. And my daughter, Grace, has been helping me kind of design our, our guest room here. And I decided to do wallpaper instead of paint. But I wanted to do, we wanted to do, was our idea together to do something textured. So I bought this wallpaper from Home Depot that is, yes, they carry wallpaper and it's embossed, but it's unlike, you know, back in the eighties, nineties, I did a lot of wallpapering in a couple of our homes and it was the vinyl kind and you slap it up there where you get it wet and then you slap it up there and you just, you know, push all of the bubbles out. Well, this is embossed, meaning that part of it, like, has uh, texture it it pops it it it's um it's not flat and it's not vinyl it's just total paper and so when it gets wet it it changes it it expands and you have to not just get it wet you have to put glue on it so you lay it out you measure it you put glue all over it i'm covered in glue and i'm trying not to get it everywhere I slap it up, but I can't press on it hard because if you do, then you get all of the embossed part, the part that's supposed to stick out, you flatten it out and then you've like ruined the wallpaper. So I put it up there and it took me two days to do one wall and um, it had so many bubbles in it. I mean, just, it looked like 
it just looked horrible. I was thinking like, I love Lucy kind of horrible. And every now and then I'd have to call for Johnny. I'm up on the ladder and it's like falling and he and I are both trying to get it up there. And it was so pitiful that Johnny finally said, listen, I'm so happy to like, if you just want to stop right here, I'll pay for a professional wallpaper hanger to come and do this for you. And I was like, no, I can do this. I've done this so many times in our previous homes in the past, but I'd never done this kind. Anyway, I just went to bed last night thinking, hoping it would just somehow magically fix itself. And it did. I just couldn't believe it. I got up there this morning and, and the bubbles were gone. Like it, it was laying flat. So anyway, that's my good news. That's my project weekend. Um, all right, let me see if I can get this to work now. Yes, I got it to work. Let me just share this, um, with my list real quick. And then we're going to jump into, um, a topic called knowing the good shepherd. And I'm excited about um, sharing with you some of the things that I've been seeing about that. Okay. So. Un momento, por favor. <laughs> okay. Link to today's. Choose love. <laughs> so some of you are on a um, text list. And this is the list that I am texting right now. And now they have the link and they can join us. Okay, so the Good Shepherd. This is language that is used. I've got two Bibles here, so I'm going to make sure I can see both of these. This is language, metaphor, picture, reality that is used throughout all of Scripture. It's really profound, um, truly. And make sure my phone is on silence. I started thinking about over, over the weekend in between my, you know, slapping up the wallpaper. I was remembering the picture that's so famous of Jesus. I remember seeing it, you know, from very young, the, the picture of Jesus and his uh, shepherd's robes holding the, the rod or staff and carrying a lamb either in his arms or over his shoulders and um, hearing, you know, that this Jesus would always go search for the one, the one lost lamb. And, you know, I remember thinking that's really sweet that he loves animals. <laughs> and yet it's so much more than that. Yes, Jesus, I believe, loves animals. But, um, you know, going all the way back to um, Adam and Eve, we had Cain and Abel. Abel was evidently the very first shepherd. And all the way fast forward, Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, we know that um, Jesus laid his life down as the lamb speaks of it all the way in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, um, where it describes the lamb who was slain. He was the one who was found worthy. 
and um, everything in between. So I want to just talk about um, kind of some of the pictures and the, the discussion around um, sheep and the shepherd throughout scripture and highlight a few key ones. And then I want to end by reading over you um, and hopefully we'll receive it in a fresh way. Psalm 23, which of course David's infamous um, song about the Lord is my shepherd. And um, my point, you know, if you, if you have any takeaway from the day at all from, from this choose love, it should be this, that we are called to know God in his fullness. And this is certainly one aspect of who he is. He is not just, um, not only the lamb that was sacrificed and slain for us, laid his life down. The covenant was complete through his blood that was shed. Um, but he is the good shepherd. And if this is an aspect of who he is, and who he is for us, then this is an aspect, obviously, that we're called to know and therefore make known. And the more I started looking into this, the more I realized, wow, like we are, um, if society is anything right now, society is sheep without a shepherd. Absolutely gone astray, scattered, wandering, lost unprotected, um, not, not knowing which is the way to go, right? No guidance, no, no, no one in the lead. And obviously, like we talk about this all the time, Habakkuk 2.14, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And this is part of the knowledge of God that from the very beginning, he wanted known. Um, so we're going to just get into that a little bit and see what does that mean for each one of us? What is what is the good shepherd? What is who God is as our good shepherd look like coming through each one of us? We talk about this in the in the bigger picture of God is love. What does love look like coming out of you? What does it look like when you show up in your areas of influence and in the areas of culture that you're passionate about? What does it look like for God's love to practically come through you? And so I'm asking the same question because this is a nuance of the way that he loves us is as a shepherd. It's, it's a nuanced description of this love that, that embodies him. And so what does God as the good shepherd look like? through you, through me. Um, all right. So here we go. One of the um, first times I mentioned before that we see um, this picture of a shepherd is through Abel. He was the very first shepherd. And we know that Cain, his brother actually murdered him and his blood that spilled into the ground. He was the very first um, person to die and to die specifically in an unjust way. And so we know through scripture that his blood cried out. That's how, you know, I'm sure God didn't miss anything, but he told um, Cain, the blood of your brother is crying out to me. 
And so, so much was captured in that, in that early moment in history uh, time as we know it. This, this picture of a shepherd who represented, you know, God knows the beginning from the end. And he knew that even Abel stepping into this ro role early on in history of shepherding sheep, like that relationship between a man and, and creation, these, these cute little critters that he would care for and he would manage and he would guide and he would protect. Um, and, and they are, even though it was the beginning of time, they already needed protection because sin was already in the earth. Uh, we know that when they were kicked out of the garden of Eden. And of course they lived for hundreds of years. So this has like been a long for relatively for us, it was a long time. So sin was already in full bloom. And um, I have to imagine that, you know, Abel, it says that he, God was pleased with his offerings, unlike Cain. And so there's some relationship that Abel had with his sheep that I believe if he had been a songwriter like David, he might have put into words to express it the way that David did. There was something special there. And I, I'm continually amazed when you look in scripture, um, how every single little thing comes completely full circle. There's, there's no loose end that God hasn't pulled on and, and brought it forward into the ultimate picture of redemption. And I believe Abel is part of that. Um, let me just give you an example before I, I give you Abel as the main example. Like the tree in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life that we were meant to have access to, that we no longer have access to because it's in the garden with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we needed to be um, disconnected from that tree of life because we ate of the tree of good and evil through Adam and Eve. And so I believe that the garden of Eden and the tree of life still very much exist um, in the spirit realm and probably Oh, no, get into that. Anyway, and then you fast forward in scripture and you see um, that he calls us oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And he says, we're like trees planted on um, by the river of living rivers of living water that bear fruit in every season we become the tree. The very thing that we lost access to now grows like in us. It is us. So everything that the enemy taints and gets into, God always, he never forgets. Eventually, he brings it back full circle and gets the last word on it. Um, I, I, I can think of so many more examples, but I'll just stick with Abel. So Abel is um, this initial picture for us of um, not just someone who was slain and the blood crying out, needing redemption, but
but he specifically was a shepherd. Um, and then fast forward, we see that fully redeemed in our savior, Jesus, the lamb who was slain, who is also our good shepherd. Um, in Numbers 27, verse 17, this is Moses. Now, Moses was also a shepherd, um, Abraham as well. But Moses, uh, in this verse, he was being told by the Lord that he was not going to be able to go into the promised land afterward, after all, and that he um, was about to die. And so Moses, thinking like a good shepherd, said in this verse, don't leave them as sheep without a shepherd. He was basically asking God, could you give them a leader, someone to guide them like I was trying to do? He had enough of a relationship with God that mirrored what he knew looked like a good shepherd. And so he said, don't leave them without a shepherd. They're, they're just going to be sheep scattered. They're not going to know um, how to follow unless there is a leader. And so that was his plea for Joshua. And God said he agreed and he, uh, you know, gave authority, some of the authority that he had given to Moses, he put on Joshua and then Joshua was able to be a shepherd to the people. Um, in Isaiah 40 verse 11, um, he's prophesying and he says, um, speaking of God and possibly Jesus prophesying ahead. He will lead his flock like a shepherd. Um, and then in Ezekiel 34, um, if you're wanting to really, you know, study into this, this would be a good scripture to come back to the whole chapter, Ezekiel 34. There's um, a whole lot in there about, uh, first of all, irresponsible shepherds. And he, he just goes, I mean, there's an aspect of I wanted to get into it today, but I just didn't want to go somewhere negative right now. But um, it just describes people who were meant to be leading the sheep. Um, and of course, it makes you think of, of pastors, church leaders, leaders in the body of Christ, who it's all about them and it's not about the sheep. Um, and he contrasts that. Uh, Ezekiel contrasts that with the, the next part of that chapter is God as our true shepherd and how a true shepherd um, lays his life down for his flock, etc. And then, of course, the most famous um, shepherd, <laughs> I think, in the Bible and the Old Testament, certainly, is David. And Psalm 23, um, I'm going to go ahead and read to you from the New King James Version even though you've probably heard it a million times in your life, um, just to kind of stir that image back up in us of, of the Lord as our shepherd. And then I want to pray over you at the end from Psalm 23, but in a different version, the Passion Translation. And so we will do that. Um, okay. Psalm 23. Holy Spirit, I just... Um, I just ask that you would allow us today to see an aspect of who you are, who our father is, who Jesus is as the lamb, who our father is as the good shepherd in ways that we have never before. 
we want to know you in, in ways that we haven't known you before. We want to fall in love with you all over again. We want to secure and steady our hearts in the knowledge of who you are. Um, we want to re-anchor ourselves today and this week in this aspect of, of who you are as our good shepherd. And we ask that just the scripture that we um, look at today would just be alive inside of us, that it would feed us and nourish us and um, sustain us and open up new realms of possibility because we see you in a new way. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord, the shepherd of his people, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right. So many good things in there. The idea of a shepherd, obviously, back in the day would be very common and even for some cultures now is still common. And so you wouldn't have to talk about the nuances of what a shepherd means. But for our sakes, I want to just get into that for just a minute because um, that's that's not something that comes automatic to us. We don't have like shepherds running around doing their thing every day in front of us. So um, a shepherd clearly is um, one who guides the sheep, their priority and their um, whole world centers around these sheep. They are not just um, a commodity to them, but they are, um, they're familiar with them. They know them, if they don't know them by name, you know, because they have so many, they, they certainly know their tendencies, their peculiarities, um, the difference between each one of them, the way they look, you know, your average person looks at, you know, a hundred sheep and they're all exactly the same. Well, that's not true for a shepherd. A shepherd knows those, those slight differences among um, the sheep. They're very intimate with the sheep because they are the ones that care for them. And sheep produce, um, you know, if you've ever seen, there's really sad <laughs> videos out there occasionally about um, sheep who are not cared for and they're just like wild or loose and or unkept and they get so much wool on them that they actually um, they're 
they become emaciated. They can't hardly move. Um, they can't hardly carry around the weight of it. So sheep are interesting in that they can't just live in the wild. Like they, they would literally grow so much wool and not be able to get it off of themselves that it could, I guess, in time kill them. The um, whatever the repercussions of that. So they, they were meant to be cared for by someone, by another person. So these sheep, these shepherds um, with their sheep, get their hands on them every year. They have to um, take off their extra wool and check their hooves. And I don't know what all they check about them. Maybe their teeth. I don't know. They, they're, they're intimately involved with every single one of them. Um, so they guide them. They lead them. Um, you know, when David talks about a rod and a staff, and I'm going to, I'm going to make this super practical for us here in a minute. So hang with me. Um, a rod and a staff. Um, I think one is used to kind of gently tap and, and move them the direction that they need to go so that they are safe. Um, and uh, one is used to like, pull them by their neck, pull them back if they're in an unsafe situation. Um, and so there are times when the shepherd is guiding them by perhaps, you know, they've trained them with sounds and words and um, whistles, whatever it is that they've, they guide them with. Um, and then sometimes they lead them. So they'll actually go ahead of them and the sheep will follow, whether they're on a horse or walking themselves camel. I don't know. And, um, a shepherd protects, uh, manages them. So in order to manage them, they have to think ahead and plan where will they shelter tonight? Where will I feed them where no one else has already eaten all of the, the grass that's that, that I need to take them to, where is there enough water that I can time this correctly? So they're managing their whole timing for maximum benefit for the ones that they value and they care so much about. Um, they plan out their days. They plan out maybe, maybe weeks in advance, what season, what area they're going to go to, um, when it's the time that they're going to need to eat and bulk up when they need to, you know, maybe get ready to have their baby lambs, their ewes. Um, and they anticipate their needs. So there's there's a lot of management, a lot of planning. They train, they teach them. So, of course, every season, I mean, every year, they're going to have new baby lambs that don't know the routine. They, they don't know it like the older ones do. The older ones could, you know, maybe memorize where they're going and how they're going to get there and, and how to stay with the flock and and certainly the voice and the cues of the shepherd so the the new lambs don't know that they're not familiar with his voice and um and so there is obviously an aspect of training and teaching that um the shepherds do another thing is they they bond with them you know if if sheep don't feel safe with the one that is leading them and guiding them, you think they'll be quick to go with them. I don't think so. Um, and, and shepherds stay with their flock. Okay. So maybe in modern days, um, 
you know, not so much anymore because of all the fencing and whatever we have. Um, but in more rural settings, the shepherd and certainly with David um, in the Old Testament stayed with his flock. Um, we know that when he was called by Samuel to be anointed as king, he was out in the field. He was with his flock. He was not lured away from his flock by the latest news that the prophet was coming to town. He was he he stayed in his role and his sheep were his priority, period. Um, so a lot of aspects about um, shepherds here, specifically our shepherd. Um, David describes him. David, you know, he was one, so he knew one like because he was so familiar with the role of shepherd, he knew not only what God as shepherd was like, like he was able to recognize God as shepherd, um, but he knew enough to know that he was actually a good shepherd. And he, he describes him in, in very detailed ways here. So I'm just going to go through a few of these. Um, first of all, um, I don't lack anything. I will not want. So he's provided for. So, I mean, so much. I'm just praying that like what I have been asking the Lord for myself is like, help me fall in love with you as my shepherd. Like I want that to become um, something not just meaningful because it's a good psalm, but like, like personal. Like when I think of um, God, my provider, that feels personal to me because I recognize all the times and ways that he has and continues to provide for me. And so it's personal when I think of him as my provider. And I want to feel that way when I think of him as my shepherd. So um, I won't, I'm not going to lack anything. He is my shepherd. I don't lack. And, you know, any of us, if we we're forced to make lists, which sometimes we just do it on our own <laughs> of all the things we wish we had enough of or more of or none of, you know, we could do that. Um, so don't think David, you know, was was just trying to be a positive guy here. I think it it literally means that, you know, when when he is your shepherd, you really don't lack that doesn't mean that there aren't things you wish you had or had more of or or even potentially felt like you needed. But the shepherd knows what we need and knows the right timing of when we need it. So, for example, you know, I um, I don't know exactly how this works, but I would think that there are times when sheep are grazing that they are thirsty but they're on the mountainside and they're not near the valley where the water is. They're not near the, the brook where they drink from because they haven't been led there yet. And I think so many times we think we are in lack and we are in want because a couple of things are happening. Number one, um, we're not trusting the timing of God. And a lot of times it's, coming, but it's not yet. And there is a process of getting there. 
but it doesn't mean it's not in the Lord's heart to give it to you or that he hasn't even already supplied it for you, but it's in process. And number two, um, there, there's an, and I, I talk about this occasionally, but I believe that there are times when he is allowing our appetite to grow for the thing that he wants to give us. And if we were to just stay satiated all the time, you know, everything is always comfortable. I always have plenty in my bank account. I always have perfect health. I always have, you know, access to the relationships that I need and everything is just so, um, it just doesn't work that way. Like, like there is an, a, even you can see it in your own body. Like there are when we are at our healthiest, like I hope you can't hear my stomach growling now, but there is a time when your appetite is growing and then you go and you feed it. So we have no lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Okay. So there is a time of rest and he knows when we need it and he knows where we can get it. Why would you want to lay down and rest if you weren't tired? So there are going to be times when we're tired. Just because you're tired doesn't mean he wasn't a good shepherd. He's taking you through something that is going to require rest. And he knows the right time and the right place for your soul to rest. Um, I'm, you know, talking about like a reprieve, a reprieve from the things that that weary us. And it's sometimes different for different ones of us. He leads me beside the still waters. Okay. So there's a, um, still waters, first of all, is a place where you can drink. Okay. So there's, there's a leading beside them. He's not going to make you drink, but he will, he will give you opportunity. And we have the choice. There's always free will involved here. We have the choice if we will, when, when he offers that place of, um, of refreshing to us, will we actually take it so that we're sustained for the next place that he wants to take us or the next season that we're going to go through? Um, if you are having a hard time because you feel like I've just not like, when is it ever going to be a time of refreshing for me? Is it possible that you actually missed an opportunity for refreshing that he invited you into? I do it all the time. There are so many times where I just feel that little gentle pull, like just come away with me. And I'm like, eh, I want to go wallpaper. No. <laughs> I've got this to do or that to do. And then, you know, I'm like, oh. well, thank goodness he brings it back around again when we miss it. But the point is, let's not miss those opportunities that he gives us. He restores my soul. It's in those places where our soul, like that inner part of us, that's going to live forever and ever and ever. That part of us needs restoring. We need to feel like um, it, it almost doesn't matter circumstantially what's going on around us. If our soul is restored, if we're back strong, standing up on the inside and he's the one. It's the good shepherd. Um, you know, there's nuances. We can just in general say, yeah, it's God that restores my soul. Yeah, but this is like a nuance. The shepherd part of him 
as we just describe the part of him that guides and leads and protects and manages and thinks ahead and anticipates our needs and he trains us, he teaches us, that, that part of who he is, that aspect of who he is, um, is the one that restores my soul. And when we realize that, we can fall in love with this aspect of him as shepherd. We have a shepherd. We need a shepherd. I can't remember where the scripture says of it. All we like sheep have gone astray. And, and we, we're these scattered sheep. And of course, Israel was, was the ultimate picture of the scattered sheep. But it was we saw even the way that he dealt with Israel is, was in his heart to bring the scattered sheep back together um, and, and to, to restore their soul. That is who he is for us, who he desires to be for us. Um, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Okay. Righteousness, remember, is also a word for justice. So if we walk with him, the direction he is going, it will lead us to places of redemption, of justice, of things coming back into right standing with him. That's a huge promise. I mean, that's the shepherd that gives us that promise. That's the shepherd that takes us into that full circle where he gets the last word on things that the enemy came in and thought that he had accomplished in our lives. And why? For his name's sake. Because ultimately, the way that he deals with us is a picture or a description of who he is. How he deals with us um, is, is a mirror of his name, his glory, all that is him. And so why does he do all this for us as a shepherd, restore our soul, lead us into righteousness, give us these opportunities for refreshing and for rest? Um, it's for his name's sake. It's for the knowledge of God. And it's, it's, it's all the swirl of knowing him and making him known. When we see him correctly, we, we display him more accurately to those around us and our lives, um, become an echo of this story, this correct narrative that he's telling that he is good. He can be trusted. He, he will lead us. He will guide us. And it's all for his name's sake. This is God entrusting us with his reputation. He's saying, if you'll let me, I will turn your life I will turn the direction of your life, how I deal with you, how I shepherd you, will showcase who I am. I love that because that means it's not just about me. It's about him too. As I yield and I, and I just, I'm just the sheep, <laughs> you know, I'm just the little sheep. I am allowing him to be who he wants to be in the earth the good shepherd. It's not weakness to be the lamb and him be the shepherd. It's it. That is, that's the way it was meant to work. It was, I, I, I was meant to need to be guided. I, I was meant to be led, to be protected, to be managed, to be, um, 
taught and trained that, that this good shepherd would bond with me in a way that I would learn his voice and I would allow him to throughout my lifetime to teach me to follow him, his path, his ways. Um, it goes on to say, you are with me. I'll fear no evil because you're with me. So we're going to walk through valleys of shadow of death. And sometimes it's going to be death, right? Eventually it will be death. There's nobody going to escape death here. And until then, it's always a shadow of death. And that shadow comes and then eventually it is death. I don't mean to be negative or anything, but I'm just saying the, the promise in the midst of that is I don't have to be afraid of evil because evil doesn't win. Evil doesn't win. Evil doesn't win. It doesn't win over you. It doesn't win over your lineage. Evil doesn't win in this nation, in your nation. Evil does not win in this world. It doesn't. It might temporarily look like it's winning. Evil does not win. And when it looks like it's winning, his promise to us is that he is with us. We're never alone. He is with us. And his rod and his staff, they comfort us. So that that redirect that he frequently gives us that we want to be sensitive to and be willing to respond to, um, that redirect of his rod and his staff, that is what comforts us. Knowing not that we're going to be perfect. We're going to walk to the cliff's edge many times. There's going to be sheep. There's going to be wolves and sheep clothing. There's going to be, um, you know, other prey come after us. And he's saying, I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to redirect you. There is, you're never outside of my reach. Um, in, where is it? Matthew 18, verse 11. It's the parable of uh, the one lost sheep. And it's where Jesus himself says, you know, a, a good shepherd will leave the 99 to go look for the one that is lost and that there's, there's more rejoicing over that one that was found than the 99 that were never lost. He's telling us his heart there. He's, he's describing to us his heart is that none of us would get lost, would be taken away by the enemy. That is the heart of our shepherd. And um, goes on to say in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, that's a big one because I like to eat when I am the most comfortable. You know, I'll, yeah, get dressed up, go out and do something out. But like when I really want to eat is like for me and some people laugh at me on this, but I will like get my jams on I get up in the bed and that's where I'm going to chow down because I am the most comfortable there. I'm not one to eat in front of my enemies. Like, are you kidding me? It just that it just feels like a huge contrast there. But he's saying, um, I'm going to so steady you on the inside. I'm going to make you so secure in my role as shepherd, my fierce protective heart over you, that even when you sense the presence of your enemy glaring at you, you're able to feast. Um 
And what do we feast on? We feast on the goodness of our God. Uh, you anoint my head with oil. Clearly, he was talking also here about how he was anointed to become king. But what is he anointed you to do? Um, there, there is an anointing that has happened in your life. That something that you've been anointed to do and be that only you can do and be. Um, and this next last part, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is a conviction there that you cannot be swayed from when you know him as the good shepherd, you know where this is all headed and you know that no matter what it feels like in the moment, surely his goodness and his mercy is, is, um, is always going to overtake whatever it is that is trying to, um, you know, hurt, harm you in your life. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, it, it ends with the big picture. The best part of the story of all is that we will be with him forever in his house. And um, we don't, you know, really know what that means. We have a clue because we think of heaven and how he's gone to prepare a place for us. We know it's a place where there's no tears. We know it's a place where we'll, we will want to worship God. We'll see him face to face. We'll be with all of those that have gone before us. There'll be the wedding supper of the lamb, um, the lamb. How about that? But uh, it's the house of the Lord. And if you think about it, sheep don't belong in a house, right? So there's, there is a time when this shepherd actually brings the lamb into the house. Well, some people say that that, that is mirrored in um, the Old Testament covenant. And specifically when God was bringing um, the uh, Israelites out of captivity from Egypt into the promised land. And he was working on Pharaoh's heart then. And um, Moses told the people the night before they were going to actually get free from slavery and bondage um, to bring the lamb into the house and to kill it and to use the blood over the doorpost. And of course, that was the, the perfect picture of what Jesus as the lamb that was slain did for us. Um, but he's this picture of we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There, that was it. That was the covenant. Jesus was slain. He laid his life down. He was the sacrificed lamb so that that would never, covenant would never, ever have to be made again. We are completely, we've been completely atoned for. So we are sheep that get to be brought into the house and not slaughtered. We get to be the ones that um, live forever in his presence. It's just, it's just a fascinating thing how all throughout scripture, there's just so much here on, um, on this picture of sheep and lambs and, and God, the good shepherd. And um, I want to read to you from Mark 6, 34. Um, just one quick verse here. Actually, I wrote it down here. All right. Mark 6.34 is where um, Jesus was with his disciples. They had pulled away 
he was actually caring for them. They were exhausted and tired. And I think, um, if I'm remembering correctly when this was, but Mark 6, 34, Jesus saw a great multitude. So he'd been with his disciples and he looked and he saw that this multitude had followed them from all over the place. And he was moved with compassion for them. Now in practical terms, they had traveled for days. They didn't have food. They're all just like desperate to to see the one that the rumor was going around about that this was the messiah that had been prophesied for generations and he saw the great multitude he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd <laughs> this he literally i mean i think the disciple mark who wrote this must have been quoting jesus because he probably said to his disciples at the time, look at this, you guys, this is, this is so sad. I mean, they're, they're like sheep that don't have a shepherd. I believe he was quoting all the way back from when Moses, if, if he wasn't quoting from actual scripture itself, he was maybe by the spirit. Um, Cause he, he is the word. He was the word. When Moses said to God, when he wasn't going into the promised land, don't leave them as sheep without a shepherd. And here, this is his, this is his heart is just proving once again, that he is the good shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So he saw something that moved him with passion, with compassion for them. And then it stirred up in him this desire to be a shepherd. I don't know if, um, I believe that the things about us, things about us show us things about him because we're made in his image. So for example, just like a woman who's nursing, you know, you think of your baby and all of a sudden the milk starts coming. Like there's, there's a need and then it draws out of you what, how to meet that need. I believe that we're like that with God. When he sees something that is a need in us, it stirs up within him the, um, the solution for it. He is the source of everything that we need. And so he knows we need a shepherd and it stirs up in him a shepherd that, so I think it's good for us to have this worked into us, this thinking of we are like sheep. I'm just a sheep. I'm just a little critter here, God. Like I, I need guidance. I need direction. I need to be brought into a place of rest where my soul is being restored. I need the good shepherd right now. There's something about stirring in us, um, an acknowledgement of what we need to draw out of him the source of who he is as our shepherd. And this is also the scripture in Mark 6, 34. Right after that, he began to teach them many things, but it says not only did he teach them. So a shepherd is a teacher. He is teaching them. Immediately after that, he has the disciples gather the 12 baskets and they supernaturally multiplied the five loaves and two fish and fed the 5,000. 
actually it was way more than 5,000, but um, so there was a practical response too. So our shepherd isn't just about giving us, you know, woo woo spiritual, it's going to be okay. You know, one day in the sweet by and by, no, he is, he is on it in, in spiritually, emotionally, physically, in the natural realm, mentally, everything that we need is in him as shepherd. And it's okay to need a shepherd. Um, let's see. First Peter five, four calls him the shepherd King. I love that. And that's, that's another picture of David. David never stopped being a shepherd himself. He shepherded the people, um, as King, um, in Hebrews 13, verse 20, Jesus was referred to as the great shepherd. Um, let's see if there's any other scripture I wanted to. Okay, so for our purposes here, and I'll just wind it up with this. I'm, I, first, I meant to say this, compassion. Okay, Jesus was moved with compassion. Compassion is a deep sympathy and sorrow. So it's a feeling that we have towards another person accompanied by. So it's not just feeling sad for someone. It's not just pity. It is accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. So sometimes we get in a judgmental place towards God because we envision him as just a king sitting on his throne far in the distance, unrelated to what's actually happening in our day-to-day -day lives. We wouldn't say that about him, but at minimum, we act like it, right? And the difference is this is a king who doesn't just feel sad for us, for you. He's not just, oh, I'm sad. That's difficult for her, for him. He is moved with this compassion, meaning that strong desire to alleviate our suffering causes him, caused him to get up off of his throne and become the lamb himself. And not just the one-time sacrifice for us. That was enough. But he is walking with us. He is leading us, guiding us. He is hands-on. He's also hands-on through you and me. We're in kind of a time in history where we typically think of pastors as shepherds. Okay, so we'll kind of use one word for the other, shepherd, a pastor, and that they really only exist in the four walls of a church. So if you want to be pastored or shepherded, you've got to go to a church and find a priest or find a pastor, uh, maybe a chaplain. And when you understand through a kingdom grid, you don't think just four walls of the church. You don't think just um, the mountain of religion. You think the whole picture, you think the fullness of God, you think, of course, God as savior. And you think of God as redeemer in the context of the church. 
and the local gathering of, of the expression of the church, you and me living, the living stones that make the church. But you also know and think of the kingdom as the full expression of God in every area of culture. Every area of society was meant to be where we could experience who and how God is, not just inside of a local church, a local gathering of believers, certainly there, but beyond that as well. That is the kingdom, the full expression of God in the seven, what we call the seven mountains. And so we know that there, um, Johnny would know it. I can't say it off the top of my head, but the fivefold ministry, um, I think it was Peter maybe that described it, but uh, the fivefold ministry, maybe it was Paul, is um, pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, and apostle. So I believe that all five of those um, have shepherding aspects to them. Because clearly pastoral is a shepherding heart. You're, you're teaching, you're guiding, um, you know, the counseling, the healing aspect. Um, shepherds have to heal um, wounded sheep and um, tend to their nourishing, feeding them. It's what you think of in a pastoral role. Also teacher, um, teaching, training, equipping. Um Apostolic, you know, an apostle, an apostolic perspective is one that thinks big picture and thinks more visionary. Um, where is this headed? How do we plan in advance? It's the building of the overall ecclesia um, that connects clearly with shepherds and way sh a good shepherd would think. Um, and then evangelist. So evangelist is the seeking, the one that is lost, even though you've got 99 right here, you're not satisfied. You got to go find the lost. Um, so we, we see this shepherd heart of God through that, that fivefold hand. We are the hand of the shepherd. And sometimes you have to see that demonstrated through flesh and blood before you can believe that it even exists in the spirit realm with God. Um, we become the expression of God in the earth through the fivefold ministry. So my question again that I started with is what does God as the good shepherd look like through you? Are there those in your life that you are being a reflection of this aspect of who and how God is to them. And of course, the number one place that we want to be that is to those that we are in authority over, whether that's family members, if you have children, or even adult children or your spouse, your, your peers, your, your, your parents. Um, you can be a conduit. You can become... Um, that occasional place of restoring their soul. Like, what does it look like for God to restore someone's soul through you? Is it is it through just taking a few minutes to listen and be with them? Um, 
or maybe it's more of a long-term relationship where you have become a safe place for them of guidance. And um, what, what are you leading people to? What are you guiding people to? Um, I think there's an intentionality that we can have in this aspect of revealing God to those around us. And certainly um, the more areas of influence that you have, if you're you know, stewarding over people's lives, maybe you manage others in a business setting. Um, maybe you do customer service and, you know, is there, is there some point of interaction with you that others have that would cause them to feel through you shepherded by the Lord? Now, maybe they can't put it into those terms. Maybe they would never even connect it to God. But when this aspect of who and how he is flows through us, it acclimates another person's heart to be able to believe that there is a good shepherd. And the reality is, you know, that picture of Jesus um, that's so famous that, you know, he's carrying the sheep and, and on his, you know, on his neck or in his arms, that picture is, is the only picture that some people are able to have of God or of Jesus because their lives are so broken. They cannot like this idea of God is, is distant or scary. The idea of um, a father is even worse um, the idea of a creator just, it, it feels too like their, their world, their world is too chaotic to believe that there's some intentionality behind it. And there's something so, um, approachable uh, in this picture of Jesus as shepherd. And so when we see and fall in love with and, and really appreciate this aspect of, of who and how God is for us, we can better um, be conduits and reveal this aspect of who he is to others. So once again, I'm just inviting you into being intentional in this um, part of the knowledge of God in your own heart, your own life. And I think the intention comes in knowing him and, and acknowledging him in that way. And then it will just naturally overflow in as an aspect of who you are to others. So um, I also believe that we're in a huge, huge shift in the church as we know it. And we are waking up and realizing that many who we have thought have had our best interest um, haven't. And the ones that maybe aren't as flashy or as, um, you know, charismatic or well-spoken or have the big buildings or whatever are, are sometimes more true shepherds. I believe that you can have either one. You can have huge building flash char charisma and be an amazing, true shepherd of God's people. I also believe that 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 it, 
it can happen in the smallest, most hidden ways and places. I think that the reverse is true as well. I think you can have incredible dysfunction, cultish type behavior in very small, hidden, little local churches and in the big flashy, everything on the surface appears to be fine and dandy and it isn't. The point is what Jesus talked about in um, John, where is it? Let's see. I'm going to read you this real quick and then we'll be done. Um, I believe it's John 10. Let me just see real quick. Um, all right. John 10. 25, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Neither will anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Um, that's not the scripture I was talking about, even though that's a good one. Um, the shepherd knows his sheep. We know our shepherd's voice. My point is, you know, the voice of your shepherd, trust that truth plumb line within you. And the more we are in scripture and the more we are intentional with our own personal intimacy with the Lord, the more we will be able to recognize and discern when something is not what it should be in the local church. So as I was saying, I think that we're in a time right now where a shift is happening and God is going to um, so awaken us to the distribution of his fivefold ministry among us. We're going to realize the importance more than ever, not of just the one guy behind a pulpit preaching, but the fivefold ministry, his reach as a shepherd into, um, into our communities, it looks like something practical. It shows up. Who he is as shepherd shows up. It was meant to show up through you and me. And, um, and I believe that as the church, the mountain of religion, the church, the local churches, we know it is going to shift and change so much that there are going to be many who are being prepared right now. You don't even have any idea you're being prepared right now to actually step into a pastoral, a true pastoral role. And I value the local church. I believe it's important, but I believe that the local church wasn't meant to exist just in the four walls of a church building. And I believe that um, they're going to come many will be um, discipling and uh, shepherding people in their homes, online, in business places, in, um, in school settings. I mean, it, it already happens some now, but I believe it's going to happen. Like we'll be able to, I think in future generations, they will look back and go, can you believe they only met in church buildings? <laughs> you know, like, it's going to be so second nature to us to shepherd 
as our shepherd does, that it will just happen as an overflow of who we are in every place that we are. And we are obviously called to more places than just a church building. So allow him to stir in you this, um, this shepherd's heart. All right. I'm going to read Psalm 23. I'm actually, I want to pray it over you um, as we end from the Passion Translation. Um, I will tell you that um, the translator here, Brian Simmons, he did such a good job and, you know, nothing can replace the one that we all memorize. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want all of that, but this just causes it to hit home in just a different way. And um, he puts a lot of his footnotes on the page where he has translated Psalm 23. And those are worth going back and reading if you have the passion translation, because um, for example, here, um, I'll just read this one comment that he makes before I pray this over you. He says, the word most commonly used for shepherd is taken from the root word ra'ah, ra which is also the Hebrew word for best friend. Isn't that cool? So shepherd is the same Hebrew word as best friend. The translation includes both meanings. The unique term for shepherd is rowan to zone, lover of the flock. This teaches us that a shepherd was not just a responsible overseer, but a caring father figure tending to his flock out of a deep sense of love. Shepherds were also fierce protectors of their flocks. Jesus is the fierce protector of his people. Whew. And as he is in this world, so are we. Father, we um, look to you right now as our good shepherd, and we invite you to um, reveal yourself more and more and more to each one of our hearts as who you are in this role. It obviously meant something from the very beginning. Um, thank you for equating yourself with the least of these, with the little lambs. You became a lamb, and you sacrificed your life and you were worthy to be sacrificed for us. We thank you for that. Um, I'm also remembering in the, the parable of the good shepherd, you explained that you are the gate. Jesus, you are the only way in and out. And um, we thank you for that picture of our good shepherd whose voice we can recognize and we can follow and we can feel safe with. We don't have to be perfect sheep because you are the perfect shepherd. We thank you for your fierce protection over us. So um, if you'll just, just receive this, maybe close your eyes if you can. I'm just going to read over you the heart of the good shepherd towards you. Yahweh is your best friend and your shepherd. He always gives you more than enough. He offers a resting place for you in his luxurious love. His tracks take you to an oasis of peace near the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives your life. 
He opens before you the right path and he leads you along in his footsteps of righteousness so that you can bring honor to his name. Even when your path, even when his path takes you through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer you for he has already conquered you. Fear will never conquer you, for he has already conquered you. His authority, the the good shepherd's authority, is your strength and your peace. The comfort of his love takes away your fear. You will never be lonely, truly, for he is always near. He has become your delicious feast, even when your enemies dare to fight. The Good Shepherd has anointed you with the fragrance of his Holy Spirit. And he will give you all that you can drink of until your cup overflows. So why would you fear the future? Only goodness and tender love pursue you every day of your life. And afterward, when your life is through, you will return to his glorious presence to be forever with him. I bless you in the name of this good shepherd. I bless you to have a great week. You are being fiercely protected. You are being guided and led and comforted and you're You have been given, you will be given opportunities, and I pray that you take them for your soul to be restored, for rest to come. Be obedient. Be a sheep that is easily led, that doesn't um, wander off, (laughs) and drink when he gives you those opportunities. Rest when he gives you those opportunities. Say yes to him when he wants to pick you up and hold you and, and heal you. So, um, I, looks like I've been kind of the last few weeks doing this on uh, live. And to be honest with you, I do have done these live because I didn't feel like the Lord gave me something in advance. And so I film on Tuesdays to give my team time to do, Um, the editing and putting it all together and posting it and everything. So I do like doing it that way when I have something ahead of time, but um, I just, I want to be true and real and not kind of conjure something up just to, just to get something out on time. So um, this was percolating in me the last several days. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it live. So I don't know all that to say, I don't know if this will be live next week or not. Um, or if I will have it posted, but either way, have a great week and continue to anticipate the goodness of God in the land of the living. We are in a time like no other time. There is, um, there is a rescue in process right now. I believe it with all that I am. I am ready to see it. I am impatiently waiting. Um, but God is giving us endurance and, 
So Johnny will be on today. Elijah streams at one o'clock and I will um, see you next week on Choose Love. <laughs>